This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. There's a comic strip that I've seen before. Maybe you've seen it. It's a comic of two fish that are swimming by each other. And one fish says to the other, um, how's the water? And the other fish says, what in the world's water? And it's kind of funny and cute, but it's teaching us a truth that, that sometimes we don't recognize the water that we're swimming in. Sometimes we don't recognize the air that we breathe. Sometimes we don't realize the culture that surrounds us that's affecting us. And sometimes we got to ask the question, you know, what is the water that I'm swimming in? What's, what's affecting me? And that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to step outside of the water we're swimming in and take a look at how the culture around us is really changing us. So what's the water we're swimming in? Well, about 15, 20 years ago, I I remember hearing lots that that, that we were in a postmodern culture, that that our culture had seen uh, science and its limitations, that it was really hard to nail down one absolute truth, and and lots of people from lots of different cultures had their view of the truth. And so uh, there was this idea, this postmodern idea, that maybe there's many different truths out there. And, and, and people are saying truth is, is kind of like a, a buffet, that everybody should just kind of pick what truth is true for them. I remember experiencing this in college. I was speaking with a woman and, and told her that I was a Christian and I was studying to be a Christian pastor. And she said, oh, that's great. That's great if that's true for you, but it's not true for me. You know, it's great that that helps you, but it doesn't really help me. And that was a post-truth Society And so in that kind of world, you know, uh, you could present Jesus as one of the different options, uh, and people would say, well, that's great if it's true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, that was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now people are saying we've moved past a postmodern culture. Now we're in a post-truth culture. Uh, some of you would say a post-Christian culture. And in a post-truth culture, You're not supposed to bring your truth out into the public at all. No one is supposed to claim that they know what the truth is. And if you claim that you know what the truth is, that's a sign of arrogance or or, or closed-mindedness. And so no one is supposed to to present the truth. In fact, uh, maybe you've heard this kind of before. Um, Someone might say to you, all right, that's great if you're a Christian, but that's your personal belief, and keep your personal belief private, right? Keep your personal belief private. And, and this is affecting all of us at some level. Uh, Pastor Bill, a few weeks ago, uh, he, he cited a study done by the Barna Research Group, very credible research group, and they were, they were serving millennials. And I myself as a millennial, we don't like being called millennials, right? That's a truth claim. No one wants to tell me I'm a millennial. But anyways, so I'll say younger people, people my age, um, they were surveyed, Christians my age, and it came out that 47% of them said it's actually, they believe that it was wrong to evangelize. Or, or more clearly in the States, that 47% of younger Christians believed it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. So they didn't want, now 47% of Christians in today's, young people in today's world are saying, um, you know, in this post-truth world, it's actually wrong to try to tell somebody that I have the truth and I want you to know the truth as well. That's seen as arrogant. 
or close-minded or self-righteous. And so in this kind of world, um, you can say, yeah, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but keep your personal faith private. But I'd like us to ask the question, is that actually good? Is that right? Can I even ask the question, is that true? Or does something need to change? You know, we're on this sermon series called Changed. And we're talking about different things that need to change in our life and how the resurrection changes our life. And and today I want us to see that the resurrection changes our view of Christ, of Jesus. Instead of looking at Jesus and and being, you know, some people say, well, if you're a sold-out follower of Jesus, uh, you know, that makes you dangerous or closed-minded or arrogant. Uh, But I want us to really find out who Jesus is. And so that'll be the the focus of today's message, answering this question, who is Jesus? Not according to opinions, not according to different cultures or different uh, worldviews, but really, who is Jesus? And to answer that question, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. During this whole sermon series and this change sermon series, we've been going through Acts chapter 2. And a few weeks ago, I explained what that is. Um, Acts was a book of the Bible. Um, it, it explains the birth of the Christian movement, the birth of the Christian church after Jesus was dead and was raised to life and ascended to heaven and how the Christian movement spread. And it was actually on Pentecost, the Jewish Harvest Festival, as the, the birthday of the Christian church. And a few weeks ago, I told you what happened on that day. All the uh, people, all Jews from all different Parts of the world came back to Jerusalem to celebrate this harvest festival. And on this day of Pentecost, actually 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, um, the Holy Spirit came down and separated in, 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 in a visual way in flames of fire. And people started speaking in tongues. And people started gathering around saying, what is this all about? And so Peter got up and preached. And last week, Bill began, Pastor Bill began by telling you what the sermon was about. He began saying everything has changed, and one thing that's changed is how we value people, men and women. And now Peter moves into the section of the sermon where he says um, who Jesus is. He's going to answer this question, who is Jesus? So let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter says to the crowds gathered because of the fire and the wind and the the, the speaking in tongues, this whole gather of people. And he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So Peter is saying, you guys all knew about Jesus. You all heard about him. You knew that he was from God because he raised the dead and he fed the 5,000, he healed the sick, and he calmed the storm. You all know that he was legit, that he was true, that he was sent from God. But Peter goes on. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter is saying, you all knew that Jesus was true, that he was from God. But then you started listening to the culture. You started listening to the cultural leaders of the day, the religious leaders, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death. You you shut him out. You knew he was true, and yet you heard from the cultural leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, who said that Jesus was dangerous, that Jesus was a problem, that we need to get rid of Jesus. 
and you believed it. That was just the water you were swimming in. That's the air that you breathed of the culture that surrounded you. Now, I think probably almost everyone here, most of us here, uh, we would identify as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And we'd say Jesus is true. But how many times are we swimming in the culture of our world and maybe we, we start to wonder, all right, Jesus is true for me, but do I really need to be public about my faith? Do I really need to be sold out, a sold out follower of Jesus? Maybe, maybe that's just arrogant or closed-minded. Maybe that's dangerous even. And every time we, we swim in the waters of the world and just go along with the, the ways of the world, we are colluding with culture to keep Jesus private, to keep Jesus, to, to get Jesus out of our culture. We're colluding with culture. We're, we're just swimming in the waters of our culture. But then Peter goes on. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. All right, so you understand what he's saying. Peter says, you know he was true. He did miracles. You know he's true, but you listen to the cultural leaders of the day. You put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, it doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. If a guy is raised from the dead, he's legit. I'm going to follow him, right? If he comes out of a grave, I'm going to follow him. And that's the claim. So did that really happen? Did it really happen that, that, that Jesus, his heart stopped beating, his lungs stopped breathing, his brain stopped firing synapses, he was dead for three days, and then three days later, his lungs started breathing, his heart started beating, and his brain started firing again. Did that really happen? Would you agree with me? If that really happened, that would change everything. Then Jesus is true. Well, Peter proves it. Peter gives us three proofs that Jesus did, really did rise from the dead. He first begins by talking about prophecy. Uh, Peter quotes the Old Testament, something that was written 900 years before Jesus by David. Um, he, this is from Psalm 16, some David wrote. He said, you, Lord, will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not your, let your Holy One see decay. So Peter quotes this ancient prophecy, and he says, all right, David wrote that. David wrote that you will not let your Holy One see decay, but we know what happened to David. In fact, the way that Peter talks about it, he said, you know, we could go over to David's grave today. We don't really know where David's grave is today, but they did. He said, we could all go, all whatever it was, 5,000 people that were gathered, we could all go over there and go look at the bones of David, and we know he was there. So David wasn't talking about himself when he wrote these words. He was talking about his greater son, Jesus. And guess what, crowd? We could go over to Jesus' tomb and look inside there and find no bones because Jesus isn't there. He came out of the grave. That's point number one. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? He fulfilled prophecy. Point number two, uh, Peter goes on as he's preaching to these thousands of people. He says, we know Jesus was raised to life because, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. We're witnesses. 
Do you know what the Greek word is for witness? Martyr. A martyr. Because the early Christ followers were martyred. They witnessed to their faith by giving up their life for Jesus. Now for me, this truth is, was transformative. I remember being in high school, and high school is kind of my time of crisis, uh, wondering, like, do I really believe this stuff, or is this something my parents taught me, or I'm just following this because that's what my culture tells me, or is this Jesus for real? And I had a teacher who said something that just kind of the light bulb went on for me. He said this, some people will die for what they hope to be true. Some people will die for what they hope to be true. But no one will die for what they know to be a lie. Some people will die for things that they hope to be true, right? All the time, people are you know, giving up their life, dying um, for their cause. Uh, people, are, you know, people are giving up their life for things all the time, for things they hope to be true. But nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. What's so powerful about this is that all of Jesus' apostles, all of them except for one, John, all of them died saying they saw Jesus alive, except for John, he was exiled for it, not much better. So all of them said, you can do whatever you want to me. Uh, for Peter, the one who's preaching this, he was crucified upside down. Sure, you can crucify me, but I don't deserve to be crucified right side up. Crucify me upside down. But whatever you do to me, I'm not going to change my mind. I saw Jesus. He was dead. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped breathing. His brain stopped firing. He was dead. And then he walked around and we ate with him. I saw that and that was enough proof for me. I believe in him. And that's one of the most powerful witnesses that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's alive, He's right. But then he gives one more proof. Verse 33, Peter is speaking to the crowd and he says, he was exalted to the right hand of God and Jesus received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So this is probably the last proof of the resurrection that, that, that we can see and touch. Um, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on God's people, and in the name of Jesus, people's lives have changed. That, that this message of Jesus has changed the world, and, and we don't always recognize that. Did you know that in Jesus' day, in the Roman Empire, children and women had little value? In fact, um, very, very often, in people in the Roman Empire wouldn't even name their children for a while because they didn't value children. In fact, sometimes if they thought that their children were expendable, they would actually throw them in the river. It was actually Christians who heard the message of Jesus that all people are valuable as Christians who would grab these children and take care of them. It was Christians who started orphanages. It was Christians who started hospitals because the message of Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit and people started changing from the inside out. And that's one of the most powerful proofs of the resurrection. You see it in people who've left their old way of sin, left their old way of evil, and they start valuing men and women and children like they never have before. In fact, something that Pastor Bill mentioned last week about the value of women and, and humanity. Everywhere that Christianity has reached throughout the world, whenever missionaries made it to a new group of people, immediately the value of children and value of, of, of women went up. 
And it shows the proof of the resurrection, how Jesus, the resurrected Savior, changes lives. So those are the three proofs. Peter says, we know that, that Jesus rose because of prophecy. He fulfilled prophecy. We know it because we are witnesses. I saw him with my own eyes. And we know it because the Holy Spirit changes people's lives. And then he concludes, therefore, verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The resurrection proves that Jesus is Lord, means he's king. Messiah means anointed one. It's the Hebrew word of saying Christ. He's the anointed one. And so if you're filling in the fill in the blank in your worship folder, the first fill in the blank is Jesus is king over all. The resurrection proves that he's not just someone's private faith. He's not just somebody's opinion. And he's not somebody to be, to be put in, the, in, in private, to be kept away in some quarantine part of our life. Jesus is king over all. Or maybe you like it this way. I, I prefer saying it this way. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. But the way that Peter says it cuts to the heart, doesn't it? Because, let me repeat it again. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, in that group of, I don't know, maybe 5,000 people that were listening to Peter's sermon, none of them were probably Roman soldiers who literally grabbed the nails and grabbed the hammer and crucified Jesus. So what did Peter mean by this? I think what Peter meant by this is so many people in that crowd colluded with the culture. They were the ones who didn't stop it. They were the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him. They were the ones who says, well, I guess Jesus is a fake. They were the ones who, who, who gave in to the culture and let Jesus be crucified. And something similar has happened among us. None of us here literally have taken nails and hammer and crucified Jesus. But I know there's so many times in my life that I just give in to the culture. That I wonder if maybe Jesus just should be some private part of my faith and private part of my life until I forget about Jesus at all. There's times in my life when I think maybe the culture has something better to say to me about lifestyles, about life, about death, about what's important. That maybe the world has wiser, something wiser to say than Jesus who's king over all. And every time I collude with culture, every time I swim in the sea of the culture and just go with the flow, go with the current of culture, every time I, I forget the waters that I'm swimming in, all of us, we're crucifying Jesus all over again. And when you start to think about that, how much we minimize Jesus, who's king over all, who rose from the dead, look at what happens. When you start to think about this, this is what the crowd said. When the people heard this, when they really grasped what Peter was saying, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and others, brothers, what should we do? And that's where I'm at. What do you want me to do, God? I've swam in the waters of the culture. I've colluded with culture. I've given into what the culture is saying so much. What do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do? Who are you? And Peter responds, repent. Repent. What does that mean? That's kind of a churchy word. What does it mean to repent? Uh, the, the word is metanoio. Meta means change, and noeo means your mind. Change your mind. That's what repent means. Change your mind. Change the way you look at Jesus. 
Open your mind. See the water that you're swimming in. See that we've been going along with the crowd. We've been swimming in the waters of the world. Change your mind. Repent. Be honest about our sin. Be honest about it. And so what are you going to do? What do we do? Change your mind about Jesus. Change the way you think about Jesus. You're doing the fill in the blank. This is the second fill in the blank. Change the way you think about Jesus. Change the way you think about Jesus. How do you do that? How do you change the way you think about Jesus? Well, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you change your mind? How do you make Jesus um, the focus of your life? You get baptized. Um, Probably many of you are baptized here. Maybe some of you are not. But do you know what baptism is? Peter says, be baptized. That's how you change your mind. Uh, maybe it's a little bit clearer uh, in, in, in a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 6, he says it this way. So baptism is. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When you get baptized, your whole life gets bound up in Jesus. When you get baptized, your whole life is connected with Jesus. Um, You are connected to Jesus, and just like Jesus died, your sins die with Jesus. Your guilt dies with Jesus. Your past dies with Jesus. It gets buried with Jesus. And then just as Jesus rose from the dead, you come out of the waters of your baptism living a new life. Not that you never sin again or never struggle. You still struggle, but now you struggle with a new strength, with the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. You're raised to life to live live a new life in Jesus Christ. You're born again. So what does that mean? What does that actually look like? Well, maybe you could say it this way. By nature, every day, we wake up, and, and the movies we watch, the, the, the Facebook posts we see, the stuff we see on YouTube, the people we hang out, um, that leads us to just kind of swim in the waters of the culture. And we don't always recognize it. So here's what I would say. Jump out of the waters of the culture. Every once in a while, you got to jump out of the waters of the culture and swim in the waters of your baptism. Swim in the waters of your baptism. How do you do that? Well, I think it happens, for me, it has to happen in the morning. When, when I wake up in the morning, um, I want to read God's word. I want to remember what God said over me at my baptism. You know, when Jesus was baptized, the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. When you were baptized, that's what God said about you. This is my Son, this is my daughter, whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. Every day we need to start off swimming in the waters of our baptism remembering what God has said about us, that that we are an accepted, loved child of God and that Jesus is in charge, that he knows what's right, he knows what's true, and I'm going to follow him no matter what. I'm going to ask him first what he thinks is true, what he thinks is right. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to swim in the waters of my baptism. And here's what happens. If you spend, before you check your email, before you check your phone, before you check Facebook, before you watch a YouTube, before you do any of those things, before you swim in the waters of the world and you swim first in the waters of your baptism, when you jump back into the world, which we all have to do, we got to jump back into reality, jump back in the world. When you jump back into the world, you'll be able to recognize if you're swimming in toxic waters. 
If you spend the morning hearing what God says about you, that you are an accepted, loved child of God, and Jesus is Lord of all, and he is in charge of everything, you swim in those waters in the morning, when you jump into the waters of the world, you'll be able to tell if you're swimming in toxic waters. And you'll be able to say, I gotta jump out of these waters. I can't follow what's going on here. I can't, I can't jump in. And maybe even you'll be able to speak the truth in love. You'll be able to speak the truth in love to the people around you. Speak something true into the world, into those toxic waters. So swim in the waters, your baptism. Now, there might be a concern though. Maybe you're thinking, all right, if I make Jesus my all in all, if I put Jesus first in my life, if I'm a sold-out follower of Jesus and I bring my private faith into public and I make that the driving force of my life, that I'm an accepted, love child of God and Jesus is right about everything, aren't I going to be one of those weird, fanatical Christians, right? Aren't I going to be weird? I don't want to be one. That's what the culture is saying. You're going to be one of those weird Christians and maybe even dangerous and fanatical, but is that what happened to the early Christians? See, when Peter preached this sermon, 3,000 people became Christians that day. 3,000 people got baptized. That's a good day. And those 3,000 people became sold-out followers of Jesus. They identified with God in their baptism. They became baptized children of God. And they didn't get weird. They didn't get fanatical. You know what they did? They sold their possessions and gave to the poor. They, and we're going to hear about this next week. Pastor Bill's going to talk about what it was like in that early... They had fellowship with one another and they loved the people around us, around them. See, here's the thing. You can't follow Jesus too much. You can't let Jesus baptize too many parts of your life. You can't swim in the waters of Jesus too much because the more you swim with Jesus, the more you swim in the waters of your baptism, the more you let your life be identified by the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the more you say Jesus is in charge the more you'll be like Jesus. The more you'll love the unlovable. The more you accept people that no one else is accepting. The more you'll be generous. The more you'll love people. The more you'll be like Jesus. You can't swim too much with Jesus. So, here's our default setting. With every YouTube video, with every Facebook post, with every every movie we watch, it's going to be easy just to swim in the waters of our world. It's going to be easy. You don't even realize it. You don't even realize the waters you're swimming. I don't even realize how much the movies I watch, the, the things I look at, the things I, I, you know, the people I hang out with, I don't even realize how much I'm becoming like that and, and how much I'm, I'm, I'm changing. Those are just the waters we swim in. That's just the air that we breathe. That's just the culture around us. We don't even recognize it. Every once in a while, every day, I believe, we need to start our day jumping out of the waters of our culture, Swim in the waters of our baptism and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for bringing us here today. We, we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for not always being a light of the world. In fact, forgive us for letting the, the darkness of the world um, cover over us. We have a sinful nature that is all too willing to collude with the culture. So forgive us. Now baptize us, Jesus. Baptize us with your love, with your forgiveness, with your acceptance, and and help us to swim in the waters of our baptism so that we would recognize when we're swimming in toxic waters. And then help us to speak the truth in love, not with arrogance, but in humility. Help us every day become more and more like Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.